I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Gabby. She suffers from PTSD as a result of a suicide in her family. Let's talk about it. All right, well, we are in person. Again, a rare treat. Uh, we have Gabby in the studio. Hi, Gabby. Hi, guys. Hey. Um, so good to have you. <laughs> so happy to have you here. We're, today we're going to be uh, diving into the world of uh, a subject that I think we've, we, we've been kind of covering a lot more than usual as of late. It's kind of like a, a running theme, um, PTSD. And I think the last conversation we had surrounding PTSD was the result of a car accident. Um, but today... Uh, we're going to be going down a bit of a uh, a bit of an intense road, I think. Yeah. And so, with that, um, we don't typically do trigger warnings on the podcast, but I think today sort of warrants one. Um, so, for folks listening at home, uh, this is a suicide trigger warning. If you know that that is something that is uh, triggering for you, this may be an episode that you want to either skip or <laughs> like really buckle up for. Mm. Um, because, uh, Gabby, you've, you've experienced something that, um, you've experienced something that I've had intrusive thoughts of in, really? in my life. Yeah. Something that like, I obviously would hope no one ever has to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe let's, do you mean knowing that we were having this conversation? It was being, in, it was intrusive no, no, or some, you've no, thought about it. In general. It's something I've thought about in general. Yeah. Um, And so maybe you can kind of set the stage for us and give us a little, uh, a little rundown on the incident that we'll be talking about today. Yeah, sure. How into detail do you want me to go? Just whatever you're comfortable with. Okay. I mean, we could like, if, if I had any say, I'd be like, go as deep and as detailed as you can. Okay. But again, this is all to your comfort level. Sure, yeah. Um, so uh, I'm from Newfoundland. Um, and yes, bye. I am. Darling, <laughs> Jesus, my son. <laughs> but my husband's from Ontario, and I've been in Halifax for a while, so my accent kind of comes and goes. So does um, my mom's. Yeah. Kinda, you know, a couple glasses of wine, and it gets pretty strong. Yeah. I know. I'm going to Newfoundland next uh, week for a week, and I'm sure when I come back, the people at work will have no idea yeah. what I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah. It, it'll, yeah, it'll be an adjustment period. So um, obviously, this is about suicide. So when I was eight years old, um, we were living in a town um, called Harbor Breton. It's on the south coast of Newfoundland. Um, that So it was September um, 8th was his birthday. So September 9th is when the incident happened. Um, I was staying down um, 
it's called Down the Pier there with my aunt. Um, so my Newfoundland. Dad. Yeah. <laughs> down the Pier. Yeah, with my dad and my aunt's daughter and her son. Because um, my mom, my grandma, and my other aunt was in Grand Falls, Windsor uh, for another health matter. So I was staying with them. Um, that morning, my father went moose hunting, as you would, in September. Um, so I was just there with my aunt. Uh, my grandfather actually was staying with us as well. So um, I remember, this is what I remember, it kind of comes in flashes still, um, but he came into the bedroom in the morning, um, woke me up, which was kind of unusual to me now in retrospect. But He being your grandfather? Yeah, he yeah. woke me up and said, uh, hey, Gabrielle, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm going up to the house, and, and I love you. So, you know hindsight like that was his way of saying goodbye to me mm-hmm. um so I didn't know anything about that I, I um went back to sleep hours later we got up my aunt Yvonne which is my aunt who I was staying with she asked me to run up to the house to get some coffee because mm. they didn't have any coffee so I was like yeah I'll go up pops up um pop mm-hmm. uh is up uh his house, I'll go and get it. So um, I walked up the road. I um, walked up the path to the bridge, which is patio, I guess, for Nova Scotians. We call it the bridge. Um, I've I never heard that before. Bridge? Yeah. Yeah. Like the bri- it's like the bridge yeah. of a ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we call patios bridges. Yeah, okay. it's yeah, it's crazy. Confusing. Uh, it is very confusing. <laughs> I'm glad you uh, clarified that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I opened up the door, um, and he was laying there in the porch. Um, he was laying on his back. So supine. Um, and I was like, so confused because obviously you're eight years old. You're like, what the hell is Mm. going on? Um, and I noticed like some blood on his right side and I was like, huh, that's so weird. So I don't know why I did this, but I looked in, um, to the kitchen I don't know why. Um, and I just saw like a trail of blood into the kitchen, into the living room. And then I came back and I knelt down and I was shaking him, trying to wake him up. And I don't know how long I was there. Um, cause I think that part is still deeply repressed in my subconscious. Um, and then I just walked back to my aunt's house like just in shock in a daze I walked in through the door I said nothing and she said something to me and she said well where's the coffee and I think I said pop something's wrong with pop or something like that Mm. and she just like took off running Mm. and that was the Incident in question. Oh God! Mm-hmm. So did he? What did he? What did he do? Did he? it was a self-inflicted gunshot. Oh wow! Yeah. And so he must have, like, after he pulled the trigger, he obviously moved. Tried like tried to walk out of yeah, the house. Yeah, and I've been thinking about this obviously since um, I agreed obviously to come in and record mm. um, about the incident, and I. I don't know, people, my family may not agree with me, but he did do it, um, the actual um, event, the incident, in the bedroom. Okay. On his bed. Oh, wow. So I don't know if, like, when he did it, he immediately regretted it and tried to go for help. Right. 
because he ended up in the porch. I don't know, and I will never mm. know, obviously, um, why he made the decisions he did because the telephone was right outside of his bedroom, so he could have called, but that's where he ended up. Yeah. I, th- I, uh, oh man, it's, um, every time that we talk to people, we're always as, as close as we can get to like relating to mm-hmm. somebody's experience that we've never had before is something that we're trying to do to, uh, empathize as best as we can. And, um, the way that that, when I, when I was, I guess I would have been maybe 10-ish, 10 or 11. And uh, a girl that my sister played hockey with uh, killed herself. She hung herself. Yeah. And and at, I remember being at that age and, and trying to wrap, and, and that being like really, really hard for me to digest from like a, you know, several degrees removed of course. from it. And um, went to her funeral and lots of people talking about it and why and this, that, and the other thing. And she was 14, I think. And, um, and I'm, I just remember how confusing that was for me being several degrees removed from it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just, I can't, um, I can't even begin to imagine the, being at that age and, 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 and witnessing that. Yeah. And, and obviously not being able to make really much sense of it. Mm. It's like, you know, you I'm, I've got to assume that you're not, like you said, you came back and you said, pop, something's wrong with pop. It's not, right. you, know, you don't have the vocabulary to describe. You knew something was wrong. I did. Mm. But like yeah. the gravity of the entire situation. I had as no an idea. Like, and how would you, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, it's such a, even as a fully grown adult at yeah. 33 years old, like yeah. it, I, it would I, be again, having those like intrusive thoughts, like, yeah, I don't know how I would even react to that. You so know? Gabby, hearing you, hearing you tell that story and like sort of knowing, you know, knowing what we were talking, going to be talking about today and like anticipating getting to that point, like I felt this like really like tightness in my chest and like this anxiety around just, just thinking about it, you know, only hearing about your story yeah. um, today. Like when you, when you talk about that, like we're always encouraging people to talk about what their experiences that right. they've been through. But like PTSD is an interesting thing because it, like you're, you're sort of like reliving that trauma mm. when you talk about it. Um, what, what is that experience like for you when you to talk about it? Yeah. To like recount that. Um, now it's, it honestly, it doesn't bother me, um, because it's been so long and I've, you know, spent years in therapy and, uh, knowing that talking about it when it's comfortable for me, Mm -hmm. um, is actually therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it, it, like I do feel obviously when I started uh, chatting a bit, I was a bit apprehensive and my hands were shaking. Um, Mm -hmm. and I was kind of missing up my words and I was a bit anxious to talk about it here, but, um, but you're also talking I, to three strangers with a microphone. Yeah, true. That's probably why. <laughs> it could be talking about um, your, your breakfast and it, and it might yeah. be a yeah, little Exactly. Uh, no, it's been 21 years, so uh, I, I like to talk about it. Mm. I would like to talk about it with my family more. I was, I was yeah. going to say my, mm-hmm. my uncle um, took, his, took his own life and my 
cousin who's a couple of years younger than me, she, she found him and wow. I like, I've never talked to her about that experience and I'm not sure my family has talked to her, her about that experience because it's such a, also to be fair, like my family on that side is somebody who's, who's always been sort of protective of the image of their family too. Right. And it's something that I think is pretty embarrassing for them that, yep. that they have, that, that this thing happened in our yeah. family because, you know, especially back in the days, it's something that you want to project like, Oh, our, our family is perfect yeah. and like everything's mm-hmm. going well. So, yeah. um, and I especially guess, in rural Newfoundland, I didn't mean yeah. to, to up, yeah. uh, interrupt you, no, but no. that is very much something that's not talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it? What was sort of, I'm, I'm, I'm curious what your experience was like after that and sort of trying to understand what happened because I mean, obviously you were the first Nobody person told me. on Nobody told you that he had committed suicide. <laughs> no, what, not that I remember. What? What? I just was knew that said. he passed away. Whoa. So what, yeah, yeah. So like the <clears throat> the thing that uh, that stuck out to me in the in the application. Yeah. <clears throat> that you had filled out um, twice. Might I say? I did. And, yeah. And like like long long ago I was did. the first application, and then most very recently was the second application. Um, this happens with the, if if somebody's listening right now. There's and two thousand people uh, that uh, were. Uh, you said that the yeah, other day, and that's why I reapplied. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. So it did. One of the things that you said was that the, the, you know you were eight years old when this happened, and yeah. and this experience was kind of repressed until it all resurfaced at mm-hmm. fifteen. Yeah. Um, so, so to kind of help us wrap our heads around that, sure. do you, do you recall, or do you have any sort of recollection of what the, the sort of, what craziness ensued after that moment of you coming back to say, Hey pop, there's something wrong with pop. Yeah. So from what I remember, and I don't know if this is like my actual memories or somebody telling me, and I think that those are my memories, but I do know that obviously they called the ambulance. Um, I remember police officers being there, obviously with a gunshot wound, they have to investigate that. Um, my dad was moose hunting, so there's no cell phone service, so they Mm. couldn't reach him. I'm not sure how he, um, was reached. And I don't know if i did a preface to this in the beginning, but it was my mom's dad, okay. Okay. my maternal grandfather. So, and they were in Grand Falls, which was two and a half hours away. So they had to get back. Um, and I just remember like a priest being in the house and like just so many people, but nobody really talking to me directly about the incident because I don't think they knew what to say. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It- at 15, yeah. what is the, like, what is the, how does this get it's brought so back crazy. up? It's so crazy. It's so crazy. I don't know what triggered it, um, but I do know when I was 15, I don't know what time of year it was, but I woke up with, like, severe anxiety. Um, I couldn't breathe. I was hyperventilating. Um, my hands and my feet were numb, obviously, because I was hyperventilating so much. I wasn't getting oxygenated blood to my extremities. Um, and I was trying to like run to my parents' bedroom. Um, and I fell down, obviously, because my feet were numb. And my parents came out and they're like, what is going on? I'm like, I don't know. I need, I need to go. Something's wrong. Something's mm. wrong. I need, I need to, to get looked at. So 
I was living in a, a tiny town called Ramia at the time, which is an island off of Newfoundland of like 600 people. So, uh, yeah, it's very (laughs) tiny. So there was like a nurse practitioner there, like in a clinic that Mm. you would have to call her house if you needed her after hours. Whoa, it's like a midnight mass. Yeah, totally. I just said that. Uh You didn't hear me say that? No, no, I I did not hear you say that. I didn't hear you say that. (laughs) You said that and I went, midnight mass. (laughs) (laughs) so my I don't know if it was my father or my mother called her we went up and her first um I guess diagnosis is that I was on ecstasy totally at 15 yeah right right in a small town in Newfoundland I mean to be fair there's probably not much else to do (laughs) right like let's everybody's like I do wonder where I wonder where she was from like (laughs) Like yeah. Toronto. Yeah. No, yeah. she was yeah. from there, which is which blows my mind. Anyway, she, she was an heard interesting all the stories, individual. All of those 15-year-olds just <laughs> dropping E in the middle of the night. Right, and right. Going, yeah. And trying to sleep. Yeah. So and they, then telling their parents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they had, she had no answers. Um, I think initially. Wait, wait, were your parents like, well, must be E. He was like, no, you're fucking crazy. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah. good, good. Can I, I probably going to curse more but uh, yeah he totally keep, said some keep, choice keep words the fucking keep the fucking fucks to a, to a fucking minimum right? <laughs> this is it. a cbc podcast we only have so we have someone only have an allotment of fucks for the year we're gonna oh, have to dear. beat this well, so I'm much gonna, in post <laughs> i'm gonna use the only allotments of fucks today probably um yeah so i don't really remember quite like what happened that night but they may have given me some ativan or something mm. to help me um, and I do remember like the next few nights sleeping in bed with my parents mm. at 15 oh. because I was terrified mm. to go to sleep. And every time I would just like let go and close my eyes and relax, I would wake up in just a terrible panic. And at this time... I had no idea it was because of that. Right. You're, it's not like you're having these flashbacks to the not moment. Then. No, right. subconsciously maybe, right? But it wasn't consciously until I don't know a few months later, right? Um, I I was I had to go to Corner Brook, which is like the nearest biggest hospital that you get um, checked out for. Um, they thought it was something to do with my heart initially, so I was going to have to wear a heart monitor, all of these things until somebody was like, "Hey, like this is probably what's going on. Like this event happened in her life." She's probably got some was it your craziness. Parents that, that no, it, I forget. I don't know if it was an ER physician or another doctor that um, I talked to, but I must have said something to somebody that triggered uh, them saying that. Like because you, because you consciously as a kid, you didn't, you know, you didn't know per se that he killed himself. No, and that you walked in on that scene. No, so. I'm like, how would that have? My parents must have said something. Right. Right. Like, and and not told me mm. um, because when they brought it up to me, that's when it was like, mm. holy shit, this is what happened. And everything just like flooded back at yeah. once. And it was so overwhelming. Because if you think about it, like if you, you know, you bring a child into the hospital and they're showing all of these symptoms that you are showing. If if the the people at that hospital are doing their job correctly, somebody is asking somebody at least enough questions to to try to get any kind of answer 
kind of piece together what the fuck's going on here. So mm-hmm. like it would make sense to me that you know yeah. maybe someone there had said something to your parents like ha- you know in, has she experienced any life, past trauma exactly or, has yeah. she experienced trauma in her, in her life like because they and, would have done an H and P right they would have asked history not to me specifically but to my parents yeah. so I'm sure. Um, on that, it's like, is there any issues or any, sorry, history of mental illness or events or something like that? And I'm sure that's something that was brought up then, I'm, I, but I don't know. Sure. I'm, fa- sure. I'm fascinated, like, it, this isn't a knock on your parents or oh, no. anything like that, but, but, you know, in the context of 20 years ago, uh, Newfoundland, uh, I, like... I'm assuming Irish descendancy, probably French, probably a yeah. probably a probably a healthy dose of stoicism kicking around, mm. uh, and just how that stuff gets dealt got dealt with mm-hmm. more generally then. Yeah, like when I think about that, like I, I think about this because I I have a I have two nephews that are that are adopted, and I know that they definitely they definitely ha- had have gone through things that I don't know what they are. I know that there that there have been things and that they sometimes like come out in expression that then I have to try and communicate with them right. about and you know not pry or not any but just let them sort of kind of speak and see like where yeah. like where is this going and what are their thoughts on this yeah. on these things that are coming out that they clearly don't really understand or have very much or have a vocabulary for, but I'm going, and I, and I know that that is something with them that is, is, is like act there with their parents. Anyway, they're, they're, they're trying to address those things yeah, and that they're, and that it's not, it's not put to the side. Um, and I guess, and especially in the realm of doing this podcast and talking to people, it seems so obvious to me now through this work that that's something that you should do yeah. with somebody who experiences that. Like we kind of, Jeremy kind of a- ended up asking the question, but I had it floating around in my head. Like what in the aftermath of this accident was like, was the priority that your grandfather had killed himself or was it that you had found him? That was going to be the question that I asked and you kind of, right. it kind of ended up being answered. Yeah. Um, and and um, now that I'm remembering as well as I talk about this, my parents were specifically told, I don't know by who, to not bring it up to me until I brought it up to them. It's the same wow. same as with Jaren yeah. talking about Which cystic fibrosis. Which is 100% fibrosis. the wrong yes. thing to yeah. do, yeah. I, not I, do that. And I'm not, I, I don't have any <laughs> background in like clinical psychology or, or anything <laughs> like that, but I, I'm I'm curious like what would happen if, if you, you know, spoke to the 12 year old version of you and said, Hey, listen, Gabby, I just want to let you know that you experienced, um, something that, you know, is pretty traumatic as, yeah. as an eight year old. Um, you found pops, um, he had taken his life and you yeah. know, that, that can, that can be very traumatic. Like, is, do you, do you feel, do you remember that? Do you, do you, um, like have any thoughts or emotions that you recognize that you're feeling around that experience in your life? Yeah. I don't know if that's the right way to, to do that. And maybe it's not using those words exactly, but is that the, is the idea that that would have been a better I think approach? so. I think so. Somebody just telling me like, Hey, this happened 
this is what happened to you and this is what we're going to do to help you. But they were just doing what they were told. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it sounds I think like they have just a lot of guilt yeah. um, over that. And I have like a great relationship with my parents. Yeah. They're awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think obviously my mom still has some trauma from that, that mm. she's not really dealing with. That's a good point. And again, mm-hmm. that was like, that was over 20 years ago. Yeah. Right? So like, and, and for anyone listening, I know we have a lot of like, you know, health practitioners that listen to the podcast and, and especially a lot of people that work in, the realm of mental health, like I, I hope, and, and I, I can't imagine that that mentality that existed 20 years ago of don't bring it up until they bring it up to you. Like that, that must have changed. That, yeah. I hope that, so. That I wonder what thinking. the, I wonder what the stock, obviously it depends on the person, depends on the, di- the situation, everything, but I'm, I wonder what the, the stock thing is for yeah traumatic, exactly and, for I, traumatic and, and, and the reason i said there's a lot of people that listen that are in that field let like i want it like let us know letters at sickpointpodcast.com is is that has that changed like is that no longer the we should do a routine checkup episode. We, we somebody should. knows about that because uh, because i also think about imagine imagine being a parent going to the the doctors and they're and they're saying Hey, li- like the parents saying, Hey, listen, you know, I understand that my kid went through this very traumatic experience. In fact, I'm feeling a lot of a- anxiousness around how I talk about this with them. And then the doctor consoling them saying, listen, you don't, don't, you don't have to feel anxious about this. They're going to talk to you about it. They're going to come to you. And then at that point, then you can start to ask them some questions. Like maybe that is what people maybe. say. And it's, and it's, it's, it's understandable. But how many times have we heard this exact situation? Totally. Yes. Where the time yeah. when they do come to talk to the parent is a time Too late. where it's, it's like in a panic attack. It's, it's, yeah. yeah, it's either in a panic <laughs> attack or it comes out in like in unrecognized like anger towards the parents yeah. or or like you know resentment that just like that that can't be explained or or lashing out in behavior behavioral issues or like whatever. So it, mm-hmm. so like. T- Man, I just I can't I can't I truly can't imagine that that's still the the it, go-to method. Yeah, it seems it seems to be and I want I do want to I do want to go go and get back to like the kind of what how this all started to take shape when you were 15, but I wonder like when we talk about when's the right time to talk to kids about sex? What's the time to talk to them about death? And it's like is the time to start that conversation when they understand what that stuff is, or is the time to have start having that conversation, those conversations, well before they under they really truly understand it, so that when they do understand it, there's some type of like built in recognition of what yeah. these things are already, yeah. Yeah. rather than waiting for them to understand, help them understand, yeah, yeah. and exactly. be part of that process. I, I mean, mm-hmm. in 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 my other podcast, turn me on. Not long ago, we had a conversation with this woman, Carrie Isham, who's a sexual educator, and her her modality is 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 not um, wait until they understand. It's have the conversation as soon as they understand language, right. but but cater the the conversation to what they can comprehend yeah. in the language yeah. that they know. Yeah, and so. Sure, that you, you can apply that to sexuality, and that makes a lot of sense. But I think you can do the exact same thing when it comes to anything, death and dying, yeah. like trauma. death is going away, mm-hmm. or and then that language evolves over time yeah. as their language evolves. Yeah. So, so you're 15. You're you're having these like in, incredible panic attacks. 
Um, where, like, where along that journey do you start to, or if at all, do you start to have conversations with anybody about? I don't. Wow. I don't. It's still, it's still, it's not like a, we're, we're doing like I'll talk. I, I remember talking about it one time with a psychologist in Cornerbrook with my parents. And I don't think I talked about it anymore in high school. Wow. Yeah. So for another, for at least three or four, yeah. three or four years. But yeah. that was. They put me on like a, <coughs> some kind of drug for my anxiety and basically was like, she'll be okay. Did you, and did wow. you did, like, I mean, not to say were you okay, but like did those drugs, did they, did they in the very least do their job in yeah. terms of quelling the. Yeah, they did. Right. They did. But I know that I, you know, like you said earlier. Um, I had some frustrations and my behavior was kind of weird, but I know that that was attributed to mm. not speaking about such a traumatic event in my life. Mm-hmm. Fuck. When, yeah. when you started to um, realize that the root of the trauma was from the experience that you had been through, did that start to shape, like how did that shape the way that it started to come up in your life? I know that you you sort of alluded to the fact that you were then having more flashbacks where you were sort of, seeing the event, did that sort of evolve after you realized that? It did. Um, And I think I may have talked to my younger sister about it and maybe my boyfriend at the time, but I did not talk to my parents at all because I was protecting them in my mind. I know that not so much my father, um, but of course I'm sure he has some trauma from that, but my mother, I really didn't want to burden her with that. Um, because she uh, suffers as well. Totally. And I just didn't want to hurt her, and I thought that talking about the event was going to open up something that was going to make her feel bad, and I didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. That's a really interesting interesting thing to, again, on the topic of of thinking about or talking to a, a professional about, like, you know, when are the, when and what are the ideal ways to start, like, bringing this stuff up, like, what what is the best route for somebody to take when their most immediate uh you know caretakers are also burdened with right. very similar things yeah. you know like where what is the next like where do you go like where do you turn when when that the person that that in a perfect world would be the support for you can't really be that support for you or or at least you feel like they can't be that support for you right you know I, yeah. yeah where do you go and for, for like that? my parents are or my mom is one of a dozen there's 12 children of course there there is yeah so they're obviously they were all there for each like each other i just don't know that they really had the right words to to say to me the, right the, what was going on the interesting thing um that i think about too though is we we did a poll recently um, while when we were doing our Movember live show, we asked a question that was, um, who, who's the person that you're most likely to go to when you want to talk about your mental health? And the options I think were, uh, family, friends, a therapist, or I don't talk about my mental health. And the, the most common answer by far was, do you want to guess what it was? Do you guys remember what it was? It was, it was friends. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. and that makes sense, I, and it does make sense, and I, I think that like you know we it makes sense it, as adults, and the reason why I bring bring this up is because I think that um, 
sometimes people feel like, fuck, why can't I talk to my family about these things that are so important to me? And it's actually quite a common experience that people don't feel comfortable talking to their family. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, I don't know why that is, but it's also if, you know, somebody's hearing this and they feel like, fuck, like I don't have my family to talk. I can't talk to my family about these things. You're definitely not alone. And I know personally, like I would prefer to talk yeah. to my friends. Than you, even else. now. Yeah. yeah. I think about when we, when like you and I have had this conversation a lot of how like you, you and I and Dennis in, in particular are very much like chosen family Yeah. versus, and, and we're, and we both aren't like big extended family people. Mm-hmm. And and so like, naturally yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going to talk to our friends <laughs> over our family. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. And it just seems, um, because, because oftentimes I think in terms of the family dynamic, family members often butt heads significantly on mm-hmm. a lot of stuff in, in some cases, everything. And, the bind, the bond that holds you together is that you are family. Like, yeah. and it's, and it says, and it is just that it's like, we're family there. And that is our association. And so like, you know, somebody in my family, my uh, given family, I mean, there's tons of people that I would ne- like, just never, like, I would just never have that conversation with. Cause I'm like, yeah, like you're my family, no offense by birth. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, and, I get that. And I've got this, you know. You're not as cool as my family, not by birth. <laughs> <laughs> jo- yeah. Jody Carrington said something interesting, though, when we, when we went to dinner with her a few weeks ago. Um, she was saying how hard it is for people to talk to, be vulnerable with their partners in relationships mm-hmm. um, because they have so much at at stake mm-hmm. with one another. So, like, if you open up and you're vulnerable, Vuln- uh, man, that fucking word. You can do it, dude. Vulnerable <laughs> about something with nice. your, your partner. And, and if it, if it, if it causes a rift in your relationship or, you know, if you're worried that your partner will no longer love and accept you because you're vulnerable you're dealing with, like, well, like how you, you know, pronounce certain words and you think they're going to think less yeah. of you because of that, <laughs> like right then, uh, then you have so much at stake. Like sometimes you have a, a house and kids and a family and all, yeah. and all this other stuff. So it's hard to open up with them because of what you're afraid of losing with them because you're so invested in them, which is also a really interesting thing to think about because it's also the most important, the most important thing that you do to, to, to keep keep that relationship too. Yeah. I'm, I'm afraid that we're going like way too far down this, like sort of a way far away from your story, Gabby, but it's something that I thought was worth, worth sharing. So, so 15, this whole episode comes up and they talk and they start, you know, you, you, they give you some medication and that sort of helps, but the conversation, how does the, how do the thoughts or how does this conversation end up resurfacing down the, down like at the next, yeah, like, like at what point do you start to actually like directly talk to them about it? Yeah. Like, like try to tackle the trauma. I was in nursing school. So, um, I may have been like 18 or 19 cause I went to nursing school right out of high school. So 17, um, and I had a mental health uh, clinical rotation and I knew that I was going to be immersed in that. And there was a potential for me to have a patient that um, attempted suicide or had suicidal ideations. So I did bring it up to my parents at that time. Again, very brief, not 
too much, just what I was feeling. And obviously they said they were there to support me, but didn't really want to get into the nitty gritty, which is what I was looking for. Mm. Um, Maybe I should have been more clear about what I was wanting from them, but that's basically, yeah, Yeah. it's hard. Yeah. 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 Um, And then after university, again, it was just that one moment. Um, It wasn't until I moved here in 2014 that I really started to open up to my mom about it. Um, She came up one time. I was having some depressive moments, panic attacks. um, And then I just, she was in a car with me one day and I just was like, this is what's going on with me. I need, I need to chat with you about this. And I went like straight through the whole thing of what happened, what I how I found him, when I did, when I found him, and then how I felt. Yeah. How did how did she respond? She responded the best way that she knew how. Obviously, like she was appreciative that I did chat with her about it, but again, she didn't really have the words to say because she still to this day has trauma that she has not dealt with. Mm-hmm. With if that, it, well, is, it is. Sorry, go ahead. Just, just yeah, one thing that comes up with that, and I want to ask this question in the most sensitive way possible. Yeah. But um, um, I have a good friend who has uh, complex PTSD, and a lot of the ther- work done in therapy is around um, feeling anger towards your parents for um, for for letting you down in certain situations mm-hmm. and that that doesn't make them not good parents. That right. that doesn't mean that you don't love them and they don't love you. Yeah. But it's important to acknowledge that like they've fallen short in certain yeah, areas. I was totally angry with them. Yeah. Mm. Do you, do you feel like that has been part of, you know, what you've been working through? Mm-hmm. I, I don't have any anger to them now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I had a lot of anger and resentment because of that. Um, because I didn't know at the time that they were told not to talk to me about it. I thought that this was something that they chose Mm -hmm. and that they chose wrong, um, and that they failed me. Um, but now I don't, because I know they're going to listen to this. Um, obviously that wasn't their fault. Um, Mm. and we've come a long way in that, but you're totally right. I had so much anger that I've had to work through from that. How and not just my parents, with everybody that was yeah, involved totally. that could have chatted with me about it. How did you come to realize that that this wasn't their decision and that they were just doing the best that Last they... Last week. Wait, you, whoa. Oh, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. And by... Just reaching ask, out and yeah, asking because yeah. you were like, I'm coming on the show. I better like yeah. information. Yeah, and, and wow. mom just slipped it into conversation and she wow. thought I had already known and maybe she did tell me mm, um, mm-hmm. and that's something that I just like don't remember. But right, yeah. yeah, she said wow. they were specifically said not to tell me until I yeah brought it up. So mm. It's wild wow. how, um, it's wild how, how, again, when we're, because we're in this bubble of doing this podcast and talking to people about things that they're going through all the time and they're being vulnerable. And one of the best things about being vulnerable, I can say that word so well. Everything's a everything's a bit of a competition. Um vulnerable. One of the best <laughs> things about being about somebody expressing how they feel and 
saying that they've had trouble or whatever is that it gives the permission to everybody else around them that like, this is okay. Like, yeah. And like, mm-hmm. you can do that too. Yeah. And so because we are in that situation all the time, that is just like second nature. Yeah. yeah. Like with each other, with our partners, like it, it just, it makes it so much easier. And so then it, then when you realize that outside of this bubble that we've like created for ourselves, there are, it's like oh, almost everybody, a, a, a much larger population of people don't have the words to express. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when you want to go and bring something up, when you know somebody is struggling with something and you want to have that conversation with them, the opening to do that is like very narrow if even existing yeah. at all, because the because the way that they talk and express themselves just doesn't lend itself to opening up this, you know, big. So when you say that you you talk to you 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 say that to your mother and and you know she does what as best as she can, but yeah. she she just doesn't have she just doesn't have that. That is that is way more common than somebody being like, oh, thank God, I just like have. I just, I could just pour everything out. I mean, it's why therapy, it's why therapy exists. I mean, like that, that like I consider this our, th- my therapy because mm-hmm. it lays the groundwork for me to be, for me to be encouraged to talk about the shit that, to relate to people right. via the shit that I've deal with. Um, I don't really know where I'm going with that other than to say that like, it is much more common, I think, for people to, to really struggle with being able to, to express the way that they feel about a traumatic situation than to, to be able yeah. to really talk about it. And and while you were talking there, Taylor, I thought of something that I haven't thought about in a really long time, but I know that from 15 up until 2014, I had a very um, traumatic thought that if I made somebody angry, they were going to kill themselves. Mm. Yeah, right. I did not want to make somebody angry wow. because Ooh. I thought that that's what they were going to do, which to me right now seems so fucked up. Right, right. <laughs> um, why I ever thought that, obviously, I was working through um, my own shit. Um, but yeah, any time I got in an argument with my sister, any time I got into an argument with my parents, anybody, I like had to make sure that they were going to be okay yeah. so they wouldn't go and commit suicide. Your brain can just tell you such... Yeah. Crazy stories. I lost some money the other day in the market and my, and my, <laughs> and my, my, my brain, my brain told me things that night about like success and failure and like family and like, I, and I, and, and I was laying there in bed and I went, dude, you've never had these thoughts. Like you've never thought this. All of a sudden, you're like, I'm ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and I just went, I just went, I went, fuck you, brain. Right? You're yeah. telling me lies. Yeah. You're fucking lying to me right now. <laughs> and I see it because I go, nah, last week, this was not the story yeah. I was telling myself. Exactly. And I know that this is bullshit. But imagine being eight years old and then, and like, yeah. you're like, you know, yeah. your limited experience in life is like, oh, well, maybe this was the case. So like now I'm going to believe this thing. And because it was so traumatic and so hardwired into my brain that now that is the path that my neurons are going to travel because that is what is so cemented and rooted as like the thing to think about 
when There's I conflict. think of this feeling or whatever. Have yeah. you have you thought about other ways that this has affected you in terms of like you as a person? You know, like I, like are that 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 mentality of like not wanting to make anyone angry. Like, are were you a generally like a pretty big like people pleaser? Oh and like, yeah, yeah. Mediator yeah. when it comes to everything, not yeah. wanting conflict. Um, especially in my relationships now, obviously with my husband, we've been very open about our past traumas. Um, and we've been able to work through that together, which has been very great, but has that affected your ability to like set boundaries and yeah, yeah. yeah. And to the point of burnout, right? like emotional and mental burnout. How did you, how did you go about getting your diagnosis of PTSD? Um, oh my God, I think When I was in university, like I said earlier, I had issues because of I I was doing this mental health rotation. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm definitely going to knock that stuff over. No, don't don't worry about it. it. And I missed some clinical time because of that. And because I missed clinical time, I had to go, obviously, to get that looked at. So it was from a university uh, psychologist. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And was this the first time that you started having like one-on-one conversations directly diving into the thick of it? Yeah. 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 Um, And they told me that, you know, obviously I could share as much as possible, um, but they didn't want to follow me for too long because they thought the more I talked about it, the more like I would re-traumatize myself, which Mm. I don't even know really clinically if that is the right choice. Um, so I think I seen them for maybe a couple of weeks, like twice. Yeah, it wasn't long. Um, and I had this blanket PTSD because of that. And that was it really. Did you like at any point in the future, did you like, did you ever find a therapist that was like, here? okay here? And, and that's because I was having issues with anxiety. Um, so I did see somebody, um, on Joseph Howe drive, I forget what it's called, um, there. And I was seeing that person for a while, um, and just chatting with the root of the problems and basically bringing up, like whenever I am introduced with conflict, I just want to make everything better because I'm having those thoughts that Mm. they're going to do this. And now I know how irrational that sounds, but my brain immediately goes there. Um, so that person, um, I forget her name and I feel so bad. Um, but she helped me through a lot. Mm. Uh, I was able to come off medications. Um, and then I'm terrible with mental health. So I kind of fell off the wayside with her Mm. a bit. Right. Uh, Yeah. And how long ago was that? Mm, What's it? 2021 now, like four years ago. Right. Yeah. Can we we dig uh, into, um, what that process was like, if you can remember yep. uh, finding finding a therapist, because I know that w- like a lot of people will reach out to us and ask us about like, how do you find the right therapist? How do you know they're the right person? Yeah. Um, what was that experience like for <laughs> I you? Googled, and then I went on like Psychology Today or something, which That's is like a rate my website. MD, yeah. Yeah. and then I just like looked through like reviews what they did, and I just chose one. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. That's how I did it. <laughs> people, I wish there was a better story, but yeah, that's how. Me, me how, too. Yeah. yeah, and I don't think that there there has to be a better story because, <laughs> um, oftentimes, like I, I've been making a thing 
to post on Instagram probably once every month or two, just saying like, Hey, like, you know, I see a therapist and it's really great. And if you're interested in finding out how you can do that, send me a message and I'm happy to point you in the right direction. Yeah. And I feel like I'm like, like promoting psychologytoday.com or like it's, it's, it's this like, like I'm going to get some type of referral (laughs) fee or something for doing this because I'm always like shilling this website, but it's actually paradigm, paradigm, Paradigm uh, orthodontics. orthodontics has seen a major oh, yeah, uptick in business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Paradigm Orthodontics, they're they're cut above though. They're they're like the. I mean, if you want straight teeth, Paradigm <laughs> Orthodontics is the place to go. Wow. But the uh, but the Doctor Andrew Emanuel, he's so good. Okay. Um, okay yeah. Honestly, if if moving swiftly if, along, if psychologytoday.com was a great resource website. Um, it's like the equivalent of paradigm orthodontics. But anyway, my, my, anyone, anyone who's never listened to the podcast before <laughs> hearing you say this is like, just going, what the fuck is this? Yeah, I know. <laughs> what but, the fuck uh, just happened but, to this shit? The, it was going really well for a minute. And then that one guy, that one bro got really weird about an orthodontics office. What the fuck? I love my orthodontist. Uh, but the point that I'm making is psychologytoday.com. Like it's, it's an amazing place to go and, you know, you put in your criteria for the type of therapist you're looking for. You can find somebody in your area. Yeah. Most of them offer free consultation. So it's really easy to, you know, try somebody out and, and see what you think. But I I can't speak highly enough of yeah. it because it is a really easy way. I have good health insurance, private yes. health insurance. Yeah. So that is, I, I know, a barrier to some people because it's quite expensive. A lot of people, yeah. 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 It is crazy how, like, when you have a, your first therapy appointment, you're like, wow. Mm-hmm. $190, please. Yeah. I would challenge <laughs> some people, too, who say that the the cost is a barrier, um, which I totally understand it is, yeah. 100%. But also, it's, think really critically about what you spend money on first and on a monthly basis, and then think about how important your mental health is mm-hmm. to you before saying... Oh, uh, it's too expensive. Right. I think I think the thing That's that a good point. I think the thing that people that I think the reason why it feels like a barrier for people who aren't currently who haven't already had the experience of therapy is that it's hard to wrap your head around what the value of that is yes. before yeah. you have the experience. Mm-hmm. So because Lord knows $190 is probably what I spend on beer between a Monday and a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> dude, you could yeah, fucking, I mean, you could buy a dude with with your a with, with your with your December off drinking. Oh man, you could probably you could book a seat that's on that's Blue Origin into, with Jeff Bezos. That's why I got into crypto, bro. You could go to you could go to the moon with Elon. I think you could cover if you take one month off drinking, Jerry. You can cover therapy for a year. Yeah, that's what I was thinking for everyone on our team. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm DeLon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So where are you at today? You know, that this is... You're you're 29 years mm-hmm. old now. Yeah. Um. What is what is life 
like today? Like, how are you managing your PTSD? How are you managing your your generalized anxiety? You know, is there comorbidity of, of depression and, yeah. you know, like what's, what are things looking like? So uh, up until that point, obviously I was off medication, but two years ago, 2019, it was like the end of spring, early summer. I fell into a really dark place um, to the point where I myself was having suicidal ideations mm. and I knew like, I need to go get help. I need to see somebody about that. So I told my husband and he's like, yeah, you need to go see help. And thankfully, I have a really good family doctor, although in Nova Scotia, family physicians are few and far yeah. between. Uh, yes. um, and she started me on some antidepressants and I went and I did some talk therapy again. Um, and that saved me. Mm. It really did. The medications really helped me. And I had this yo-yo effect where I would go on medications, come off them, go on them, come off them, go on them and come off them. But this time I knew that I needed to stay on them. And are you, and, and two years out, are I'm you, still, still on, on them. them today? Yeah, I had uh, postpartum depression after I had my son last year. So she, she upped the dose okay. and that really helped. Yeah. Um, but talking about, uh, you, you know, the issues that you're having and the feelings that you're feeling is something that has really helped me. Mm. In How terms, did, in terms of like the, the, the difference that it, it makes in your life to to do that talk therapy and to be on um, an antidepressant that's working for you. Like, what is the difference between your a regular day for you when you're you're in this like deep depression versus the opposite of that? So I am like a type A personality. So I go 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 go. I I would what you would be called like a highly functioning anxious person. So yeah. you would know that I was anxious at all. Um, but at home, I, you know, I would just stay home and not want to do anything because I would be overanalyzing things in my mind. Like I can't go to this place because maybe I'll do something or something will happen. Um, so basically just being at home a lot and missing out on a lot of stuff because of I, I would be afraid as to what would happen if I was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From, from a, um, from a bit of a... I don't know a, if that answered your question. No, it does. Yeah. 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 And, well, and it's obviously the opposite of that when you're, when you're yeah. going in therapy and, yeah. and on these antidepressants, yeah. like the, w- the way that you feel about the days. Completely different. That's awesome. Um, from a bit of a selfish standpoint, um, I'm having a, I'm having a daughter in March. Yes, I heard that. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm very fucking excited. And I'm wondering, since you said that you had postpartum depression, was that, was, was identifying that part of knowing that you had mental health issues prior to Mm -hmm. being pregnant or was it something that was explored with your family doctor or your, you know, if you had, if you had like an obstetrician or whatever, you know, like how did that, how did that, how was that identified? They talk about it a lot at the IWK and a part of your discharge planning after you have a child, at least for, in my experience is the nurse sits your partner down and is like, this is what Mm. you need to look for. Mm. Um, Because if these things are happening and your partner doesn't see it themselves, then you know it's it's a trigger for you to get them help. So they right. did a really good job with that. Um, but for me, my past history, I kind of knew that's right. what was happening, and I was able to to voice that to to my husband, and immediately, you know, made an appointment and was like, "Hey, this is what's going on." And she's like, "Yeah, you're 
you're you're totally right. Because I'm assuming you're at a higher risk if you've had yeah. pre- previous mental health. Well, yeah, yeah, I just looked at it. I, I there was something I've never thought about, but um, it, it it turns out one in every ten women will develop um, more severe and longer lasting depression after delivery. Like most new mothers experience baby blues, but one in ten women mm. will suffer from yeah, postpartum. I, I re- I'm reading a, and then I'm one re- in a thousand develop a more serious condition called postpartum psychosis. Yes, yes. Yeah. I was I was reading a book, but it's all it, it's all uh, in everything that I talked about. Postpartum is all referencing like um, like standard U.S. based stuff, mm. and that I was like I. Have no idea if this is applicable in Canada or not. So how did how did postpartum like show up in your life? Like what did what did that look like for you? I had like a flat affect. I didn't really want to play with my son. I thought whatever I was going to do with them was going to hurt him in some way. Mm. Um, like whether it be feeding him or you know at nighttime we co-slept although I know that's not the safest way <laughs> for a baby to sleep in bed with you Co-s- but right, we okay. so bed sharing not co-sleeping yep. um I would just be up because I'd be afraid that he like wasn't breathing like mm. I just I didn't sleep um and I knew that that was a problem um and then I was just crying uncontrollably mm. um mm. uncontrollably um, for like periods of the day. And I didn't know what to do about that. Did you feel any urge to eat your child? <laughs> is that a, is that a common, what a weird question. Is that a common symptom? <laughs> I believe that's a, a aggression. No. <laughs> Some animals are you experience, do. Are you experiencing yeah. cannibalistic, cannibalism? cannibalistic <laughs> thoughts? No, I can't say that I have. Weird. <laughs> uh, I just thought that, that maybe that's a, I mean, I'm not about to have a kid. I just thought maybe that was a, just, a symptom of postpartum. I mean, do I want to eat him now? Yes, I want to eat his cheeks. Yes. That yes. is one of those yes. things that you yes. want to do is just, just smush little, them. Yes, yes. Um, uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question that we, we ask most of our guests, which is a two-parter. Um, the first one is, what would you say... What would you say is is the biggest thing that was taken away from you from your from your experience with PTSD? I've been thinking about this question because I knew that it was coming and it's so hard to answer. I think for me with my whole mental health experience is taking away some opportunities that I was um otherwise I wasn't healthy to go to mm. or if I was too anxious to go to. Um or experiences with family, experiences with friends, um, some experiences with my son, uh, not being able to experience that because of what I was going through. Mm. I think that that would be the answer. I couldn't come up with anything else. <laughs> that's very, that's very <laughs> profound and powerful. Yeah. Mm. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? The ability to talk about mental health yeah. um, and to talk about it openly with uh, my husband because before it was really hard, obviously, to talk about, but I will talk about it with anybody now, like person down the street. Like it really doesn't bother me, but I just want to talk about it so it helps somebody who can't talk about it maybe say, hey, it's okay um, to talk about a traumatic event that happened in your life and, and you'll be okay. Well, I think you did that today. You know, you, oh, you talked you. about it on a platform where a lot of people are going to hear it. And I think just by by virtue of listening to this conversation, you've given a lot of people permission mm-hmm. to to feel like they have the strength and the ability to 
talk, you know, to Thank talk you. openly and talk vulnerably. Yeah. I have one question before we wrap because I've been very curious um, about this for like the last five or six years. It's a thought I've been having about talking about traumatic events on the podcast with, with us. And, and maybe we cut this part too, but, but my question is, is I've always been concerned that when somebody comes in and shares a story about um, a, a traumatic event that, that has happened to them, that it can be hard to talk about that and then leave this environment here and then go out and sort of process that afterwards. I mean, in therapy, um, at the end of each therapy session that I do, we always do a grounding exercise before the session closes. Yeah. And knowing that this isn't therapy, but we're talking about traumatic events in what could be a therapeutic way for you. Um, do you feel, or like thinking about it now, do you have any concerns about like how talking about a, your traumatic experience could, you know, roll over into the rest of your day? No. I think yeah. I'll be fine. I, cool. I'll, I'll probably just call my husband and tell him how it went. <laughs> yeah. I, and I ask him about that. And I know. You can't sue us, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and the reason why I ask is. We're covered. Is, <laughs> we got our warriors on this. It's been so long and, and, and I, I, I totally, your, your question's so valid. And, and I know that, I also know that your answer doesn't apply to the next person no. that comes in here to talk about their thing. But I was just curious to ask about that because it's something that I've, I've, I've always wondered, but I just, for whatever reason, haven't asked the person who's sharing that. So well, we should, yeah. uh, we should do a little grounding exercise. Let's, let's all take a long breath together. How okay. So plant your feet. There we go. I like this. It's Actually, hard to, it's hard to, feet, buddy. it's hard to feel planted in these know, chairs. I'm so relaxed. <laughs> all right. And then we'll take a big breath in and a big breath out. <sighs> <laughs> that was and and oh, hey, we, oh, none oh. of us needed that grounding exercise. But if you're listening and you got weak mental health, oh. then, whoa, whoa, then whoa, there whoa. you go. Right, you're right. grounded. Right. It's one thing to make a joke about about saying a word better than somebody else, but <laughs> comparing to your mental there health. Line, dude. See you later, everybody. Hope you're eating your babies and oh, have fun wow. being vulnerable. Wow, this is <laughs> brought to you by psychologytoday.com. Psychologytoday.com. Yeah. Dr. Andrew Emanuel. Don't let me go. Uh, oh Gabby, thanks for <laughs> thanks for a coming in and, and, and actually being vulnerable <laughs> and sharing with us. But also thanks for being goofy with us and, oh, and thank yeah, you. thank you. Joke around here. Um, I know that what we talked about today is is serious stuff, and I know that yeah. you know. Again, it's not often that we put a trigger warning at the top of our episode. So, um, for having the 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 strength to come in here and talk to us about this, it really does mean a lot to us mm -hmm. and to thank our listeners you. and. Um, this has been a real treat. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. We can just cut out that part that I said and just finish with <laughs> no, that. We'll, we'll probably, we'll probably no, leave that in. Yeah, you made your bed. <laughs> Fuck. There you go, folks. That was our conversation with Gabby. And uh, we are three for three with PTSD conversations in the month of January, uh, banging out all that mental health talk early in the year. Uh, but next week, we're going to be coming to you with something completely different. And we're really looking forward to uh, bringing it to you. 
Thanks for, so much for supporting the podcast, folks. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a review. If you're li- listening on Spotify, you can now rate the podcast. How exciting is that? So head on over to Spotify and give us a five-star rating. It would mean the world to us. And of course, every Friday, uh, we are coming at you here, wherever you're listening to your podcast, but also on YouTube. So you can head over to YouTube, find Sick Boy, and be sure to subscribe and hit the bell icon there. Sick Boy Podcast is produced by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The sound design comes to you from our friend Donovan, the CPAP Morgan. Theme music for this week's episode was brought to you by Take Part. And of course, the podcast is managed by the lovely Jeffrey Lonis. That is it for this week. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.